This episode is sponsored by pattern and book publisher Indigo Junction. Indigo Junction's new brand, Fabriflare, offers kits and patterns for dimensional paper piecing. Watch the Radiant Star Fabriflare video to learn about the product and the process of making these functional and decorative objects. Showcase your favorite fabrics, embroidery, or treasured textiles. Visit indigojunction.com and use the code WSN20 for a 20% off discount on your entire order. Thank you so much, Indigo Junction. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 82 of the Walsh and Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, I'm at SoPro, a convention for sewing professionals that's taking place for the first time here in Chicago. I'm sitting in a ballroom at the Hyatt with my guest, Mickey Kruger. And for the first time ever, I have a studio audience for this podcast. Yay! (laughs) So my guest, Mickey Kruger, is the president of Wyndham Fabrics, a division of bomb textile mills. And today, we're going to talk about all things fabric. Mickey Kruger, welcome. Thank you, Abby. It's a pleasure being here. So Wyndham Fabrics is, as I said, a division of Baum Textiles, which is a family-owned fabric business that was founded in 1955. And in 1995, Baum began making cotton sheeting for quilts and eventually created a whole new division, Wyndham, exclusively to meet their quilting market. So I'm wondering about that transition. What was the quilt world like when Wyndham first got into this market? So um, it was uh, a pretty dramatic transition that happened slowly. Um, but back, in, back uh, in those days, it was a smaller, friendlier quilting world. Um, but we came from a place that had nothing to do with the creation of fabric. Uh, Baum Textiles, prior to Wyndham Fabrics, was uh, what is commonly known as a jobber. So we would buy excess fabric from the various um, U.S. fabric factories like Burlington Mills and Alamac and Greenwood Fabrics was making denim, and we would sell that fabric in secondary markets. Um, When that business started uh, looking like it wouldn't um, last much longer because the U.S. mills were going out of business, um, we knew we wanted to stay in the fabric business and had to transition to something uh, different. We were familiar with the world of, uh, you know, what was out there in quilting. We knew that this this industry existed, and we started getting involved in it in a way that was most easiest for us, which was uh, with reproduction fabrics. We didn't have to design anything. It was already designed. We just reproduced it. And we were fortunate enough to find some really great resources to find some really beautiful and unusual um, reproduction fabrics that we then started putting our own slant on, our own signature on. And it was successful from the beginning. And in the beginning, it was uh, Baum Textiles. Um, Wyndham Fabrics, the name, or the name Wyndham Fabrics, was created just a couple of years after we started getting into the quilting business. Okay. And is this your family's business? It is a family business. It's my father and myself. My father will be... 88 or 89 this December. He still comes into the office every day. 
That's amazing. And so you are you the only sibling? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm the I have a sister, but she's not in the but business. But she's not in the business. Okay. But you took over the family business. Yeah. Okay. And was that always your intention? I mean, it... <laughs> <laughs> were you, was there ever a moment where we were like, I am not going to go into the fabric business? Oh, yes. I remember in ninth grade, I dreamed about being in the fabric business. No, that's not, that's, <laughs> that's not true. Um, um, I graduated from college and, and got involved in direct marketing and um, magazine publishing and uh, screwed around there for a few years. And um, uh, what happened was that my father's partner, his name was Abe Baum, which is where the name came from, um, he passed away. And uh, my father said to me, who was uh, about four or five years out of college, hey, come do this with me. It's good. And I did. Mm -hmm. And I never looked back. Uh-huh. It's in your suited to it. I mean, you seem to love it. We just watched you do a presentation for those of us who are here at SoPro, and you clearly are very invested and passionate and interested in all aspects. Yeah, I do love it. I do love the business aspect of it. Um, I do love the design part of it. I really kind of um, get some energy from that. I'm not an artist, but I feel like I know what I like when I see it. Um, I like... Um, engaging designers and taking some design risks and seeing what happens. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fun for me. And are you a quilter? I have made something that resembles a quilt, <laughs> but I would not consider myself a quilter. Okay. I did design a quilt uh -huh. after that. I'm waiting to have it made. <laughs> okay. All right. So fair enough. Um, all right. So thinking about the three or four designers who joined uh, Wyndham most recently, if you kind of think of those in your head, how did you find them, or how did you come across those last, most recent ones? How did you come across their work initially? Okay, well, um, it, it kind of happens the same way all the time, but it's not, there's various ways that it happens, but it keeps happening over and over again in the same way. Um, oftentimes, a designer will submit work to us that will catch our attention because it's something that we're not currently doing or they're doing it better than we're doing. Um, and we just look at it and we say, hey, that, that looks fantastic. So um, they solicit us. Um, sometimes we find uh, what I will call amazing pattern designers or quilt designers who we think have an artistic flair. And when we start talking with that designer, if we're right and they do have an artistic flair or some artistic ability, we'll engage them as a surface designer. Um, so they're, they're familiar with what they're going to do with the fabric, um, which makes them a stronger surface designer in many instances. Um, I'm always looking on Instagram, looking for ideas on Instagram. Um, and we do work with licensing agents whose job it is to bring talent to various industries. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so when you're talking about Instagram, a hopeful new designer who may be listening to this show and is developing his or her portfolio, um, how do you, you know, how should they capture your attention? Should they come to your booth at Quilt Market? Should they email you? Should they just sort of develop their Instagram and wait to be chosen? Well, all of those things? Well, yeah, kind of all of those things. Um, but don't wait. Um, 
you know, you, you could have an amazing Instagram, but if I'm not, you know, I could speak for me, if I'm not following you, I, I'm not going to see you. Uh, so if you think you've got something that's worth showing as a designer, if you've got a voice that's different from others, um, contact, not just me, contact a fabric company if, uh, and, and shout your name out and be persistent. If you don't hear back, uh, try them again, try other fabric companies. Um, there's a lot of fabric out there. There's a lot of fabric designers out there. There's always new ones coming, um, but there's a demand for it. So, so you need to be persistent. Right. So be persistent and don't wait. So Def yeah, definitely don't wait. Get out there and, and take, be proactive. Oh yeah. Let's say. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's... The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right. Absolutely. And if you are rejected, um, maybe use the feedback if you're able to get feedback to improve. Absolutely. And if you don't get feedback, ask for it. That's good advice. Okay. So, um, who at Wyndham is involved in selecting the new designer? Is that just coming from you or are there, is it one of those things where it's got to be presented to sales staff and they're going to make projections about what will sell or it's presented to a bunch of different people on a team or is it sort of the decision is made unilaterally? How does that work? Um, well, it kind of the buck stops with me. Um, so I could say yes or no to, to anybody, but it doesn't, that's not the way the process works. Um, we have a design team that's always looking for new talent. I'm always looking for new talent. And when any of us, uh, in, it, 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 when anyone in the company sees new talent, we shout it out to each other and we say, hey, look at this. And it's as simple as, you know, shooting an email that uh, with, with, with a URL or a website or a blog or, or a JPEGs that someone sent and say, what do you think? And I will get, um, sales involved, I will get marketing involved, those people that are making uh, quilts with fabrics, in, uh, you know, our team. Um, I will, of course, get our art director involved. I will get our um, in-house artists involved, or the, the art directors that are, that are in-house. And everyone has an opinion. And if there's uh, agreement among most of us, and it makes sense, we'll generally do it. Okay, and how many employees are, are there now at, I guess, at Wyndham? There's about 50. Okay, it gives a good size, it gives us a sense of the size of the company. So um, can you, can a designer expect to make a full-time living? I know this came up in the, um, in the session you just did, and, and I think it's a question that people have. Can a designer expect to make a full-time living from creating a fabric collection or multiple fabric collections? Or would you really say that it's a piece or a component of like a, a, of what's got to be a more multifaceted business model for a designer? That's a really good question and a hard question to answer. You know, what's a living? <laughs> right. It's a little different for everybody. Sure. But um, the truth of the matter is that it is probably difficult, except for the most successful fabric designers, to earn a living simply from designing fabric. It doesn't mean that you can't earn a living from design. So if you want to take uh, the design that you work on and present it to fabric companies for uh, uh, production in this world of quilting arts that we're in, 
And that's one facet of your work as a designer, but you license those same designs or similar designs to other industries, you can absolutely make a living. It's not easy, but nothing is easy. Right. So one way to do this is to be really see yourself as a surface designer where you're creating designs not only for the quilting market, but for other markets. And another way to see to do this is to see yourself as a person who functions in the quilting industry, who has quilting fabric, but also has patterns and books and teaches. So in yeah. some way, packaging it with other things that you're going to do. Right. But if you're if the idea is that I will make a living solely from the income I earn from producing fabric, that's not so easy. Yeah. And there are people who do it. There are some people who do it. Um, but they're rare. They're in the minority, yeah. They're, yeah, they're rare. Okay. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about Quilt Market. So Quilt Market is the industry trade show. It happens twice a year. I'm sure you're there at every show. We are. Um, and so when you when you go to Quilt Market, what is your goal as a fabric company? What, what are you doing there? Well, that's a good question. And the answer to that question has changed over the last few years. So years ago, um, we would go to Quilt Market and it was a big deal. It was where, you know, new product was launched. You know, here it is, look at it for the first time, let's go. And it was an absolute money-making endeavor for us. It, it is an order writing show. We would go there, we would um, sit down with as many people as we possibly could and write as many orders as we possibly could. And we'd come back at the end of the day and we'd add up all the money we spent and all the money we made and hope for a positive number. And those orders were being written um, by quilt shop owners. So individual quilt shop owners, right. someone who owns a quilt right. shop in Minneapolis is placing an order. Those are those orders. That's right. And, okay. and um, at Quilt Market, we would often see our international customers. They do come from the 10 or 15 different countries that we uh, sell fabric in. And some of them would bring their customers. Others would like to sit and look at the new collections in person. And we would, it was a good place to, to write the international orders. Okay. And it still is a good place to write international orders because um, those, those um, distributors in, in foreign countries still do come to Quilt Market. But what's changed a lot about Quilt Market is, for us anyway, is that while it still is a, um, an order writing show, it's probably less of an order writing show. The business is not there today like it was in the past for a couple of different reasons. Um, uh, as as uh, my, uh, Alex Rodriguez, my, my uh, VP of sales often says, quilt market is not the end all and be all anymore. Um, we're launching our fabric collections four times a year because we can't wait for quilt market anymore. If we were to do that, we would present way too much fabric at one single time. It would be incomprehensible for a shop to sit down and look at 50 new fabric collections from Wyndham. Right. So just to give us, give us um, a snapshot of how many you used to, how many fabric collections you used to release and how many you're releasing today, just so people know. So in 2009, I would say we did about 35 or 40 fabric collections a year. Today we do about 100. So if we're going to split that up into two quilt markets, say, here it all is at Quilt Market, that's 50 fabric collections. Imagine sitting down with a shop and showing them 50 fabric collections. You'd bog with their mind. So we split it up into four different um, sales campaigns. And that in itself makes a quilt market a little less important in terms of sales. Um, How are you launching the ones that launch off 
market. In other words, so there's a spring and a fall market, so then you have a summer and a winter. Yeah. So the ones that are summer and winter, how are you launching those if you don't have market? Uh, we, we have a sales campaign. Um, there's one in January that's not a market, not a market launch. There's one in um, August that's not a market launch. It just, you know, our sales reps go out armed with a new product. Um, we make a big deal about it. It's just not at quilt market. Okay. Um, and secret is, is that um, the best sales periods don't start at quilt market. Did um, they used to? Yeah, I guess they used to because they had to. There was no other time because that's right. when people did it. But for example, um, October market, which is the big market. Yeah. Um, it's probably the worst time to launch a fabric collection. I mean, think about it. Here we are at the end of October. We're putting new fabric on sale. Everyone's really excited and runs out, and then Halloween starts. And then they run out to the shops for another two weeks, and then it's Thanksgiving. And then they run out to the shops to sell more fabric, and another two weeks, it's, it's Christmas. Christmas right. And then it's January 1st, and guess what? Brand new fabric lines come out. So the ones that were new at Quilt Market in October in two short months are now old, old. Mm -hmm. okay. so so what fabric so what quilt market has become for us again it's still an order writing show it's still important for sales it's still we still make a big deal about it mm -hmm. but it's more about marketing it's more about making a statement about who we are as a company what we stand for you know what we're doing what we're showing um Back in the days before social media was so important, I would be a little grumpy about spending a lot of money at Quilt Market making a big deal with a big booth because I'd say, okay, well, 10 or 15 or 20% of the market is seeing that for three days. So here we are trying to impress 15% of the market along with the rest of our competitors for three days. That's a lot of money and effort to go into that. But today, there's bloggers and there's uh, 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 social media that becomes part of market. So what we do at Quilt Market visually lasts a lot longer than those three days. And it's more impactful for our overall business. Right, because it's reaching the retail customer. It's reaching everybody. Right. The consumer. It's reaching the whole, the whole yeah. buying public. Yeah, I mean, a home run for us is when we come up with a new fabric collection that gets a lot of attention uh, from let's say social media from either our efforts or the efforts of others that are, are doing social media whether it's a quilt market or otherwise and our rep walks into a shop and the shop owner says I want to buy the such-and-such -such collection before they ever see it because they knew about it from social media mm -hmm. or their customers knew about it from social media the best salesperson is a customer walking into a shop and saying did you buy the so-and-so collection from Wyndham? I saw it on Instagram. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. then, then the shop owner knows that they have to buy it because their sales built in already. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that's really interesting to think about that changing role of the industry trade show because it is changing. And it's, it's definitely in the last five years. Gotten, you know, in the next five years, too, it's going to dramatically change. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about contracts. Wyndham designers, do they sign a contract when they begin working with you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we have a pretty, and this is different for every company, um, but I know the way we work and we do have an agreement that we ask a new designer to um, look at, agree to, and sign. And we do that to protect us and to protect them 
Um, it's important to know what they're getting into, um, what their expectations are for earning money from the work that they're going to do. Um, it's important for them to know, at least in our contract, uh, that they own the designs, that we're, uh, we, we expect that we have the rights to market the designs exclusively in our little niche of fabric by the yard for craft stores. But if they want to license the design for something other than that, it's their design and their right to do so, as long as it doesn't step on our little part of the world. Um, so yeah, it is pretty straightforward and, and I make sure that they understand it before they sign it and they and because we keep it simple, they often do. Okay, and how long are they tied to that contract? Is it a year, is it three years, or is it just sort of? Our standard is three years, but it doesn't mean that that's not negotiable. I'd like to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Amy Berrickman of Indigo Junction about her new product, Fabriflare. I'm Amy Berrickman from Indigo Junction. Today I want to share Fabriflare with you. This is a new brand that we developed for Indigo Junction. It's dimensional paper piecing based on techniques similar to English paper piecing. So we have a line of kits and we have everything from a bowl that you can make that's more functional to what we call a briosphere, which is a dodecahedron object. The process is covering mat board templates with fabric and then stitching those together to form everything from a Christmas ornament to a Morovian star, which we call the radiant star. It's really, it's perfect for pre-cuts because whether you have a charm pack or a, like a jelly roll, you'll get a variety of prints that then that allows you to put together a really beautiful star. What a fun project too, to take with you on a trip or to give as a gift where you get, like you pick out some charm packs and then you get the Faberflare star kit and that's an awesome combination. You could also personalize it with embroidery, whether it be hand embroidery or machine embroidery. And I love to the idea of celebrating maybe team spirit, making some one of these objects in novelty fabric. We've done a Royals and a Jayhawk Fabra Flare that they're really a perfect great, a perfect gift for men too, because you can incorporate any type of fabric into it. I saw one with neckties that you did. Yes, that's one of the favorites and how accessible are ties. And if you like English paper piecing, then you will like doing this. We also did a video actually that shows the process as well as the different styles that we offer. You can check out Fabriflare at indigojunction.com. Thank you so much, Amy. And now back to my chat with Nikki. Do you have um, designers who've been with you for a really long time? Yeah, years. Many years. And De decades. We okay. have ones that have left and come back. Uh-huh. So that is possible to leave and come back. It is possible. Mm -hmm. Anything is possible. <laughs> okay, good. And so when you are going to go ahead and print a, um, a collection, how many yards of each design get printed on average? Okay. Um, so one of the things that's changed for us is that because of the way we market things and because the way... Um, the the industry the the the, the shops have have changed. Um, we have a long lead time between the time that we show a collection until the time we deliver it. So that means we can be smarter printers. So we have a lot of sales built in before we ever print something. 
So we know if something is very successful, because we've sold a lot of yards, we'll be aggressive in printing it and print a lot of it, not just to cover what we sold, but to cover future sales, and we'll be more, more aggressive. And if something is not as successful, we could, we could uh, dial it back the other way. The, the standard industry minimum for the printers is uh, 3,000 yards of a design, and that could be broken up into 1,000 yards of a, as, as little as 1,000 yards of a colorway. Okay. All right. Great. Um, and do you reprint popular designs? Um, we do. If they're popular, we reprint them. If the demand remains for them, we'll continue to reprint them. We have one design in particular that I could think of that we've been printing for about three years now, and it's by far the most successful design in the history of the company. Wow. Okay. Um, and let's talk a little bit about this change in um, in how many fabric collections come out a year, because this has really been a big change. So I hear some people say, some fabric um, stores say that there's too many. Um, and you talked about this huge shift in um, and how many come out in a year. And I'm wondering what caused that shift. Why do you think, let's say, five years ago, eight years ago, you were producing 30 and now 100 in a year? Why? Oh, that's a good question. I don't really have a good answer for. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of reasons. Um, well, first of all, we've grown as a company. Um, the marketplace allowed us to put out more product. Um, so why not? I mean, we could become a bigger company by putting out more product. Um, there's a lot more talented designers out there that are coming to the forefront, which enable us to put out not just lackluster collections, but great collections. Because you can find them more easily, maybe. I mean, they were probably always a talented there, art designers there, out there, there but always were. the connections are more easily made. Yeah, but the but the the industry has become more vibrant also. I mean, online sales have grown. I mean, it's a big part of, um, uh, of, of where fabric is sold these days. I mean, I, I will argue that there is more fabric being purchased today overall, um, but there's also more fabric being offered. Right. And what percentage of sales are online sales? Do you know? I don't have that number. We don't really track it. Okay. Not for us. Um, but there's there there's a lot. And and anecdotally we have people that tell us, hey, we want to be a Wyndham customer. I'm opening up a new uh, brick and mortar store or I'm opening up a new online store. And there's a lot of people that say I'm opening up a new online store. And, and, and that online store can be, uh, you know, that's the new website that they do, um, or an Etsy store, uh, or a, a, an existing brick-and-mortar store that now has an online presence. And what does it take to open a wholesale account? So let's say I open a new Etsy shop, and I would like to be a Wyndham customer and carry Wyndham Fabrics. What do I need to do to set up that wholesale account? What is the barrier to entry? The barrier is low. <laughs> I I, uh, I have a different, a slightly different philosophy than some of my competitors, but um, I've got fabric on the shelf, and if you want it, I'm going to ship it to you. Uh, it, we do have a low minimum, so as long as you meet the low minimum, we're cool. Um, we want to know that you're a legitimate business, so if you have a tax ID number, you're cool. And if you've met those two thresholds, we'll ship you fabric. Right. And I think that there is some tension there because there are some quilt shops that would say, 
well, an Etsy shop's not a legitimate business. They shouldn't, you know, the, the manufacturer should be loyal to us and us alone. But that's maybe not a realistic expectation. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. Um, the world is changing. Um, the internet wasn't here before Al Gore. So, <laughs> uh, Thanks, Al Gore. Uh, 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 but it's here today. Right. And it's not going away. So if we refuse to sell to an Etsy store um, in, in, with, the, with the thought of saving the online, uh, the, the, the brick and mortar store, well, we're not going to be able to make that happen. So it's not a reality for anyone. Um, so, so, you know, everyone's got to step up their game. Right. And what about fabric.com? Like, what about this? So, you, you know, Wyndham Fabrics is a premier quilting cotton, so it's not going to, premium quilting cotton, I'm sorry. So it's not going to be selling to Joann's, for example. Correct. Um, or Hobby Lobby. Correct. But there are Wyndham Fabrics on fabric.com, and fabric.com is owned by Amazon. So it's like really a kind of a massive, almost like a, a big box store, but it's an online big box store, one could argue, or even something like Craftsy. Um, so is there a line drawn there and why, why the line, right? Like what's the difference between Hobby Lobby and fabric.com? Well, I, I think there is a difference. Um, uh, but, but basically speaking for, for well, I'll go back to saying, you know, if we decide not to sell fabric.com, um, they're not going to go away. They're here to stay. Um, so our, our philosophy is kind of, if you're going to play fair as a retailer, we will engage with you uh, to, to sell you Wyndham Fabrics. And um, it's true that Fabric.com may sell fabric for less money than some other companies. And if that's their, um, you know, if, the, if that's what they're doing wrong in anybody's eyes, uh, I'm not sure that that's entirely valid. Um, they buy a lot of fabric. Uh, anybody that buys a lot of fabric is probably going to be entitled to um, a discount. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're fabric.com or a brick and mortar store. Um, their philosophy is to uh, uh, sell it aggressively, and um, I'm not sure that there's anything wrong with that. Um, I'm sure that there are many brick and mortar stores that sell fabric aggressively. We just don't know it because they're not online shouting it out. Right. So some of these, this yardage is discounted deeply all over the place, but we're just not in Iowa City seeing it. But we can hop on to Fabric.com and see it, and so it bothers us or something yeah. like that. And I'm not so sure that Fabric.com is always the lowest price retailer out there, mm -hmm. online or otherwise. Mm -hmm. And Craftsy as well, same deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we don't sell to Craftsy. We just don't. Um, uh, but again, if, if, if anyone is just playing by the rules, I don't see any reason why we, we should not be selling to them. Okay. Is there a reason why Craftsy's on the out? We just don't sell to them. You just don't. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So I'm then thinking about the future of the industry, right? There was a long time here where maybe the last 20 years, quilt shops were the hub of the industry. The trade show was for the quilt shops. You were making sales with the quilt shops. The quilt shops were the center of the industry, and that's what this all served. Maybe that center has shifted now or has widened or diversified in I some way? I think it's diversified. I still think the concept of that is true. It's just that um, there's not just quilt shops anymore. There are brick-and-mortar quilt shops. There are online quilt shops. There are things like Craftsy. Um, there are you know monster retailers like Fabric.com, uh, 
so it's it's the outlet to buy uh, to, to for us to sell fabric and for consumers to buy fabric has just broadened. Would Wyndham ever consider selling direct to consumers? No, um, I know that some of our competitors do that. Some of them uh, under the radar, some of them above the radar. Um, we don't do it. I don't think it's fair. I don't. I really don't want to be in business in competition with our customers. I don't think that that's cool right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And what about designers? Can your designers sell their own collections directly on their website to retail customers? They can, and some of them do. Okay. And, and in my eyes, they're just another retailer. Right. What's the difference between them and an Etsy shop owner or right. anyone else? Right. Okay. I think that's good to hear. Um, I mean, interesting. You know, it's just interesting to hear it from your perspective for sure. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about how this fabric is all made. Okay. okay. So, um, so where is this? Is Wyndham fabric printed? Uh, we print in mo mo most of Wyndham fabric is printed in Korea. Um, we do print some of our fabric in China, some in India, in Pakistan, in Japan. Um, I think I've covered it all. <laughs> and where does the cotton come from? The raw cotton itself mostly um, comes from the, the two biggest, uh, the three biggest cotton producers in the world are the United States, China, and Pakistan. Um, India is a close, a close uh, fourth. Um, so the cotton comes from those countries. Most of the cotton is then shipped to uh, China and Pakistan to be woven into the fabric itself. So most of the, those, that's called gray goods. And mo so most of the gray goods that is, for example, printed in Korea comes from China and Pakistan. Okay. And so just explain a little bit about why, for those people who say, well, I think it should all be printed in the United States, right? I only want to buy things that are made in the USA. Um, why is that not, at this moment in time, a viable business model? Well, there's just not enough. There's there's barely any fabric printed in the United States. You you, you couldn't buy it. Um, why? Uh, do we have another two hours to talk? <laughs> uh, but you know, it's just not here. There there is a little bit of fabric production or print fabric printing production here in the U.S. Um, but if if tomorrow the entire industry of uh, uh, those of us producing quilting fabric wanted to switch our production to here in the U.S., the, there's not enough capacity here in the U.S. To, to support it all. Not at this moment in time. Not, not today. Could that change? Is it changing? Um, I, it, is, it is changing very, very slowly. Um, uh, I don't. I don't see too many new print factories coming online in the U.S. Um, Would it save you money and hassle? In other words, I know that sourcing things from overseas companies there's a language barrier. There's time; it's got to come over here, so there's a delay. Um, so there's some some hassle there and some uh, uncertainty in all of those transactions. If it were to come back. Would it be, would those, and those things were to, to disappear, would that be beneficial down the road? 
I'm not sure. You know, printing fabric. You know, printing fabric is pretty straightforward. It's pretty streamlined. I mean, we get it done pretty quickly, pretty easily, and pretty error-free. Um, if it were to come back here to the U.S., the amount, what we would save is time in transit. Mm -hmm. So the amount of time it takes to get fabric from Korea, let's say, to the U.S., we would save that time. And how much time is that? It's three weeks. Okay. So it's not a lot. It's coming on a plane or a boat? A boat. A boat. Yeah. It, it's not a huge deal. Um, but in order for us to print here in the U.S., some of the technology would need to change. Um, some of the printers that um, don't exist today that might exist tomorrow would need to be able to provide us the quality of fabric that the industry expects. Has, expects. Um, right now, that would be a challenge. Um, because whether we like it or not, the printers overseas, particularly in Korea, which is where most of the fabric is printed, but even some of the other countries I mentioned, um, can do it in a more sophisticated way than we could do it here in the U.S. in the current setup with the current technology. And what about digital printing, right? So there's Springflower and then there's other companies. I know Springs Creative does digital. There's There are digital printing companies yeah. and there's, and there's um, also some of these Big fabric companies are doing some lines digitally, and then some are being printed in, in the other way. So is that the future? Is there a future in digital? How do you feel about digital fabric? Future, uh, digital printing is definitely in our future. Um, when we at Wyndham do um, engage some of our uh, collections with digital prints, um, we, we, we have two so far. We're planning others. Um, it could be a game changer in many respects. Um, it, at one time, not too long ago, was very expensive. Um, today we could um, print digital fabric almost as inexpensively as we could print traditionally rotary screen printed fabric. Um, it could potentially bring fabric production back here to the US. Um, they're talking a lot about that these days. It's called onshoring, the idea of mm -hmm. bringing production back on shore to the U.S. Um, but consider that despite all the fabric that's printed for uh, the quilting industry by, by Wyndham and all of our competitors, year after year after year, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny thimbleful of the amount of fabric that's produced overall. I mean, think of the amount of fabric that's printed for apparel. Right. It, it dwarfs what's printed for quilting cotton, or for, for the quilting industry. Um, I'm not sure that um, fabric production is coming back to the U.S. in any significant way until apparel production comes back onshore to the U.S. in any significant way. Mm -hmm. Digital printing um, might help make that happen. Um, what would really make that happen is automated cutting and sewing of garments. Now, that is in the future. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think people don't quite realize how much um, handwork actually goes into cutting and sewing garments in factories now. It's still intensive, uh, extremely labor-intensive. Right, exactly. And that's where, that's where the cost is. Mm -hmm. for, in, in apparel, that's where the cost is. Okay, so this fabric comes back on the boat. It comes off the boat. Where does it come? What city does it come into? It comes into uh, 
Wyndham Fabrics World Headquarters in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, that uh, We have um, our, our warehouse distribution operations, uh, our main office, our design office, everything is under one roof. Okay. Um, our double enroll facility is there. So we do it all in, in one facility. Right. So you get to oversee everything. We love it. <laughs> right. Okay. So it comes off the boat and then is it bolted here in the U.S.? Yeah. Um, in your, in your... Yeah, we bring it in big rolls, and then we bring it to our double enroll facility, and they break it down to the smaller bolts that you see in the quilt shops. Um, there are many suppliers that uh, do double enrolling overseas. What is double enrolling double mean? Enrolling. So as you take a, a piece of 45-inch fabric, <laughs> okay. you fold it in half, mm -hmm. double. Got it. And then you roll it onto the boards. It's double, double enrolled. enrolled. Got it. Yes. Um, and there are facilities, uh, some, some of our suppliers overseas are now offering that service, um, uh, and we could bring the fabric in already on the bolt uh, instead of doing it ourselves. Um, sometimes we do that, but we like the flexibility uh, that bringing it down on the roll and, and bolting it ourselves offers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And do you do pre-cut cutting there or no? We do all of our pre-cuts. Here in the U.S., mm -hmm. in that same, we actually send that out um, to a to a supplier that does, has specialized equipment to do those precuts. To do the precuts, yeah, it's hard to do. It is a little hard tricky. to do accurate it accurately. Is, yeah, well, we learned our lesson. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, it's a good way to ruin a whole lot of fabric. So, um, all right, so we are um, just about finished with those sorts of questions, and I, I wonder if you could tell us. Um, you mentioned a, a neat substrate that's that's coming for Wyndham in, in, in the next season, and um, it sounds pretty cool. So what's next for Wyndham? Uh, well, uh, particularly regard to that new substrate, um, we're, it's called Mud Cloth, and we're introducing it in um, Octo the October quilt market. So we found these garments that were um, from Africa. Um, they were like tribal garments, so the, the first thing that intrigued us was the design. We thought the design element was really cool, so we said, hey, we, we, could, um, we could do something with this design-wise. And then we bought some of the, the, the garments, and then we took a closer look at the fabric, and we said, this is really cool. Um, it's kind of a hybrid cotton-linen sort of multi-purpose mid-weight fabric that you could use for soft foam deck, for apparel, and for quilting. So we really liked the idea of that. The The problem was we didn't know where to make it. <laughs> so we had some ideas about what of the factories that we knew would be best suited to make it. So we wound up finding a factory in India that did it. And um, it's been about a year in development. Uh, we wanted to introduce this this product about a year ago, but it took a year to get it right. And do you get to go to India and see the factory? I mean, have you been? I have not been to India. Um, I, I don't. I used to travel a lot more to the factories, but the truth is that you don't really need to anymore. Um, it's pretty error-free. It's pretty straightforward. Um, the factories are pretty good at doing what what it is that they do. Okay. Great. So that's something for us to look forward to. So um, so I always ask my guests at the end of the show to recommend something that they are enjoying right now. And it could be a book. It could be an app, a website, uh, a magazine, okay. art supplies, anything you would recommend to a creative <clears throat> friend. So do you have something that you could recommend to us? Well, creatively, I recommend or what I'm enjoying that I would recommend to anybody uh that is interested in any sort of, of, of 
design or crafting is Uppercase Magazine. I'm in love with Uppercase Magazine. Um, Jeanine Van Gogh, I think, is a genius. Um, she does it all herself, but she has an unbelievable eye, um, not just for things of uh, in, in, the, in the quilting world, but just about anything that has to do with design. It, it's, it's fascinating what she does. I would agree with you 100%. And she's a Wyndham designer. She is a Wyndham designer. And she's a previous Walsh & Naps podcast guest. So she gets around. <laughs> Three cheers for Janine. <laughs> well, Mickey, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walsh & Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Abby, it was a pleasure. And if somebody wants to send you a message or get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, just do it through the Wyndham Fabrics website. Just use the contact button on the Wyndham Fabrics website. Um, I will see that. Awesome. And thank you to the studio audience who is here tonight. Thank you. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And thank you so much to our episode sponsor, Indigo Junction, and their new brand, Fabriflare. Fabriflare offers kits and patterns for dimensional paper piecing. So go check out the Radiant Star Fabriflare video to learn about the product and the process of making these functional and decorative objects. And remember to use the code WSN20 for a 20% discount off your entire order. Thank you so much, Indigo Junction. And if you enjoy this show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.